0: I
1: invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 to introduce our thoughts this morning. Lord willing, I'd like to begin a series looking at the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And as with many topics in scripture, this is a topic that is multifaceted, a lot of different aspects and a lot of different contexts and I think we're going to see that every time that you read a reference to the kingdom of God or to the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't always mean the same thing. So you have to rightly divide those and compare scripture with scripture and line upon line and precept upon precept. But one of the most important things that I would like for us to consider as we go through this in the kingdom of heaven is that truly... In this kingdom, we have the opportunity to experience what's called in Ephesians chapter 1 as the earnest of our inheritance of the Holy Spirit of promise. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who has given us an earnest of our inheritance. And we can really feel, albeit to a diluted manner, because we can't fully consume every bit of the joy that we'll have in heaven in our mortal bodies and with our mortal mind but we can truly experience the joys of heaven here in our life. And I I appreciate in Matthew's gospel that he introduces the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Um, It's very interesting. We we spent some time uh, last year and the year before that looking at what is the church and under trying to understand that the church is so much more than public worship. I think we've got the idea in our head that we go to church. Well, we don't go to church. Church is who we are. Church is so much more than public worship. But it's very interesting as we think about the church that Jesus actually only referenced the church twice in the Gospels. Ecclesia, the called-out assembly that we spend a lot of time looking at, He he references it in Matthew chapter 16, upon this rock I will build my church, right? And then in Matthew chapter 18, where he's talking about reconciling personal offenses, you go and you take it to the church. So only two times in Jesus' ministry did he reference the church, the ecclesia. So when he was talking about the church as we think about it, how did Jesus primarily refer to that? He actually referred to it primarily as the kingdom of God. So he only used the word church twice in the Gospels, but Jesus used the, the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven 90 times. So that's interesting, right? That uh, when you think about the, uh, the model prayer, our Father which art in heaven, first of all, right? He thinks about us. We, uh, we, we are called to pray upon God to our heavenly Father, so we're lifting our gaze to heaven as we're praying unto God. But it's interesting that Jesus didn't say, Lord, bless your church in the model prayer, right? He didn't say, Lord, bless your church. Why, how did he tell us to pray? Thy kingdom come, right? So Jesus only referenced the church twice in the gospels, but 90 times he referenced the kingdom of God. So primarily when he's talking about the church, he's referring to it as the kingdom of God. And I think it's very beneficial For us to make sure that we adopt this kingdom mindset, okay? A kingdom mindset. Because the kingdom is so much more broad and dynamic than just simply our local body. But then we're going to find that the kingdom of God is, is even more dynamic than just public worship. Because primarily the kingdom of God is experienced in our soul. Primarily the kingdom of God is experienced within us, okay? So... We want to kind of begin to introduce those thoughts. This morning will be somewhat, Lord willing, of an overview of topics and verses that we will consider more in-depth in the future to try to build this thought. Uh, so we will move fairly quickly to introduce some of these verses that we will, we will uh, again, consider more in-depth in the future. But as we think about the kingdom of heaven and uh, the kingdom of God is referenced many times in Scripture. But Matthew's gospel uses the language of the kingdom of heaven. Only in Matthew's gospel does it describe the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven. Now, part of the reason for that is that Matthew is primarily the Jewish gospel. Matthew, or Levi, was a publican. He was a Jew, and it was primarily, primarily written uh, by a Jew, to the jews okay think about the way that uh the gospel of matthew begins and it begins with a genealogy of jesus validating that he is first of all the son of abraham but also the son of david and of the tribe of judah well why is that important it's because they are validating to the jews that are primarily reading this gospel there in the first century that jesus is the messiah okay so keep that in mind as you consider the Gospel of Matthew, primarily the Jewish Gospel, Mark has more of a Gentile influence, and then Luke is written to Theophilus. Theophilus was the recipient of both the Acts of the Apostles and Luke, written to most excellent Theophilus, and that is summarized in the beginning verses to Luke as these are the things most surely believed among us. Okay? And then John is written in a different way, not narrative as much as the other three synoptic gospels that focuses on the divinity of Jesus. So Matthew is primarily the Jewish gospel. Now why is it that, um, that Jesus would use this kind of language um, in Matthew's gospel, describing the kingdom of God primarily as the kingdom of heaven? I think part of that ties back to Daniel chapter two And again, we'll consider this much more in depth in the future. But we have this account here with Nebuchadnezzar and he has a dream and Daniel's interpreting that dream and he sees an image that are describing worldwide kingdoms. First, the Babylonian empire, then the Medo-Persian empire, and then the Greeks and the Macedonians and then later the Roman empire, okay? But it says in Daniel chapter two and in verse 44, in the days of these kings, that last kingdom, which when you study history, and compare this with this image that Nebuchadnezzar saw, it's clearly describing the Roman Empire, okay? So in the days of the Roman Empire, in the days of these kings, and in the days of the Roman Empire, shall the God of heaven, that's important, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people and it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that's referring back to verse 34 and 35, that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it break in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver and the great God shall make known to the king what shall come to pass Hereafter, the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof, sure. So why is it that there has not been another worldwide kingdom since the days of the Roman Empire? It's not because there haven't been men that wanted to to control the world. (laughs) Men's lust for power has not been quenched or diminished since then. Why is it that there has not been another worldwide empire since the days of the Roman Empire... And that will not occur until the end of time when you have a consolidation of power, 10 kings giving power to the man of sin and him taking back control over this worldwide kingdom. Now, the only reason that that happens, by the way, Second Thessalonians <laughs> chapter 2, the only, that, the only reason that that is gonna occur is it says that he that letteth will let. In other words, God is preventing the desires of man to take over this world. He's, he's preventing that. He's letting that. The word let means prevent. He's preventing that right now. But there's going to come a time where he's going to remove that hindrance. And nature always abhors a vacuum. And what happens? The man of sin comes to power and, and consolidates world power. But why is it that there has not been another worldwide kingdom? It's, it's not happenstance. <laughs> it's because there is a kingdom that has taken priority. And it's the kingdom of God. And I think part of the reason why Jesus uses this language in Matthew's gospel of the kingdom of heaven is because these Jews should have known about Daniel chapter 2 and quite a few other places too that the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom. Okay? So if the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom, what is it? It's the kingdom of heaven. Right? It's the kingdom of heaven. So these Jews should have been looking for this. And there's a whole lot more that they should have seen too. They should have read... A lot of things particularly in daniel that they should have um, been more watchful than they were to understand that jesus was the messiah the kingdom of heaven now as we said the kingdom of heaven has a lot of different aspects and applications in context in scripture and particularly in our lives as well it's very similar to the church when we talked about the church we tried to Give you the idea of the entire elect family of God as being a very large circle encompassing all that Jesus has paid for and purchased by his blood, a large concentric circle. But then inside that circle, you have not the church triumphant, which is what we would describe as uh, all of the elect family of God that have been paid for by the blood of Jesus, but inside that circle, you have a smaller circle that is what we know as the baptized members of the visible church the church militant but then even inside that circle you have a smaller circle that is the local church okay and i think that you can uh, i i I would hate to uh maybe draw the lines this definitively (laughs) uh just because the kingdom of heaven is so dynamic but if you want to think about it in, in a similar way obviously god is king in in heaven in the the realm of the third heaven and his throne that he resides in that we will reside in at the end of time he is he is king there but in the kingdom of heaven in the sense of his children we could compare that to the entire elect family of god right that's that's comparable because all the elect family of god are participants and members of the kingdom of heaven but then with inside that larger circle of the kingdom of heaven that encompasses all the elect family of God, there is a smaller circle in the middle of that that we would primarily think of as the church entering into the kingdom of heaven, pressing into the kingdom of heaven, and not everyone that is a, is a member of the, uh, if you'll let me kind of use the same language, the uh, elect kingdom of heaven not everyone is going to press into the church kingdom of heaven in the manner that they ought to. But then you get even more detailed in the middle of those two circles, and then the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Now, I think some of the aspects and the blessings that we can experience in the kingdom of heaven is very similar to some of the language we use, distinguishing necessarily between eternal salvation and then the salvation that we experience in time. And I've realized over the years that I've used the language that the salvation that we experience in discipleship, that we would consider to be time salvation or temporal salvation, and unfortunately I feel like I've used the language that it is separate and distinct from eternal life. And I've realized that's not good language, that's not the right way to describe that because it's not separate and distinct. Now it occurs in a different setting, right? But it's not separate and distinct, because that gives the idea that there is a there's a barrier between the two, and there's no connection. No, actually, the salvation that we have here, that we can experience here in our life of discipleship, is just an extension of the eternal life we already have. I mean, think about the abundant life. There is no abundant life unless you have eternal life, right? It is just an extension. In, in our life of discipleship right now of the eternal blessings that we have in heaven. So I've tried to shy away from using the language that it is separate and distinct. Now it occurs in a different setting, but it is not separate, you see? And I don't want you to think about it that same way with the kingdom of heaven. There are different aspects of the kingdom of heaven that occur in different applications and in different ways, but they are not disconnected. It is just an extension of the kingdom of heaven in a different setting okay it's a different aspect of the kingdom and that's why we need to when we talk about the church and when we talk about the kingdom inside of us we always need to think about that inside the broader context of the kingdom of heaven and all the elect family of god okay so it's not separate and distinct it is a different aspect of the same blessings that we have the same way with salvation, we have eternal life, but now in, in our discipleship, we can lay hold on eternal life. We have eternal life, but now we can press into the abundant life. We have uh, eternal, the, the eternal blessings of heaven that are secured solely by the blood of Jesus, but now we can press into the kingdom of heaven and experience the joys of heaven here in our life of discipleship. Okay, So there are different aspects of the kingdom of heaven, but I want you to make sure... that that you understand they're not separated, that they're not different, they're not separated, they're just occurring in a different aspect, okay? And a lot of the application of the kingdom of heaven is going to be what we would think of as the church, but I really want us to begin to adopt a mindset of a kingdom mindset in the church, okay? Because, especially as Primitive Baptist, I feel like we've got the idea that churches, we just go to church on Sunday, and then we come home, and and then that's that. No, we need to have a kingdom mindset. The kingdom is so much more broad and dynamic than public worship. Like I said, Jesus, when he was giving us the the model prayer for how to pray, he didn't say, Lord, bless the church. How did he tell us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, seek ye first the church. What did Jesus say? Seek you first the kingdom of God, right? Seek you first the kingdom of God, and we'll be referencing that verse a lot, and kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God is interchangeable, so I hope that you'll allow me the liberty when I quote that, as we're discussing this. Seek you first the kingdom of heaven. Seek you first the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting he didn't say again, seek you first the church. Now it's comparable, right? Right? The the church is the body of Jesus that's that's the bride of Christ that's bought for and paid for by the blood of Jesus. But he didn't say seek the church. He said seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. So I want us to make sure that we're adopting a kingdom mindset. In Matthew chapter 4 and in verse 17, the very first message that Jesus began to preach as he's been baptized by John. He went, goes immediately into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days. So now he's beginning his public ministry. Jesus is beginning his public ministry. <coughs> and what is the very first message? What are the very first red letters that we see as Jesus is beginning his public ministry? Matthew chapter 4 and in verse 17. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Which, by the way, this indicates that the knowledge that the kingdom of heaven has now come down to earth, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, this indicates that the knowledge of that should indicate action, but it should also indicate a change in repentance, too. In other words, when we hear the message that the kingdom of heaven is here, it's at hand, we shouldn't just say, oh, okay, that's good. good, good deal. No, it should indicate action, right? It should indicate repentance. It should indicate a change of action when we hear that message. But the very first sermon, now it's just one little bitty line right here, but he expounded on it in the next chapter, You know, I hope, Lord willing, if the Lord continues to guide my studies and thoughts in this way, I hope Lord willing to make our way to the Sermon on the Mount. Because, essentially, the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. You see, God set up this kingdom that was prophesied in Daniel chapter 2. He set up this kingdom, but the idea that, particularly the Jews, again, Matthew being the Jewish gospel, the Jews had this idea that the Messiah wasn't going to be a spiritual king. He was going to be a natural king and overthrow the Romans and set back up Jewish independence, reestablish the lines of border of the promised land. They viewed him as a natural king. And this is a verse we'll be referring to a good bit. Uh, We're in these series of messages. John chapter 18 and verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. That's another thing we need to keep in mind. My kingdom is not of this world. But natural Jews expected the Messiah to have a kingdom that was just like the world, right? They expected the Messiah to be a military general. They expected the Messiah to overthrow Roman government. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Why? Because it is a spiritual kingdom. So you had this environment in first century Judea that... These legalistic Pharisees were putting the natural rank and file Jews under bondage and and the law and if you don't do these external actions exactly right, then God's gonna cast you into hell. Well, essentially him setting up his kingdom of heaven, he gives the constitution of the kingdom of heaven, and there's a lot of aspects to that in the sermon, our Sermon on the Mount. But one of the main things is that that your faithfulness to God, your holiness to God, is not solely determined by external actions. It's based on a purity of heart. Okay? Because think about those Pharisees and scribes that were putting that yoke of bondage on the neck of those Jews in the first century. Jesus called a few of them later on in his ministry. He called them whited sepulchers. You look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones, okay? So on the outside they look good, but inside they were not pure, they were corrupt. And these people were saying, it's all about the external actions. Now the external actions are important, but they should follow from a purity of heart. You know, what did Jesus say uh, in the Sermon on the Mount? blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god and then he says look it's not about you not going out and physically killing someone yeah you shouldn't do that either but if you hate him in your heart you're guilty of murder yes you shouldn't go out and commit the physical action of adultery of cheating on your wife with another person but when you've lusted in your heart you're guilty of adultery now why does he get it down to the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. Why does he get it down to the level of the heart? Because the kingdom of God is primarily experienced within you. It's primarily experienced in your heart. Now, we go to an external setting to be able to experience it in a special way. And what I mean by that is, don't you feel a closeness to God and a closeness of the kingdom of heaven such as our meeting a couple weeks ago where the entire building was packed and we had excess seating and the Spirit of God is flowing from breast to breast didn't you feel heaven in that moment I sure did I felt the joys of heaven now understand the kingdom of heaven is not solely about location we're gonna see that in a minute it's not solely about location you can experience the kingdom of heaven by yourself in your prayer closet with god someone could sit in there someone that was not born again by the spirit of god if they happen to have been sitting in the room where we were experiencing the kingdom of heaven we were experiencing the joys of heaven but if you're not born again you can't feel that you can't experience so it's not solely based on location is what i'm saying location can be important in experiencing, it but it's not solely based on location It's primarily experienced in your heart, which, by the way, why is it primarily experienced in your heart? Because that's where the king resides, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. (laughs) He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And where does he reside? In your heart. He resides within you, okay? So what Jesus is saying here on the Sermon on the Mount is that it's not about you giving the pretense of looking good to other people on the outside, because that's what those whited sepulcher Pharisees did. Again, it's not just about murder in your heart it's not just about adultery in your heart he says look you need to go in your prayer closet to have an intimate communion with god because what are people that are only concerned you think real religion those first century jews they thought real religion was all about going and having these pious prayers out on the the side of the the sidewalk at the temple where everyone could see you and say wow what a godly man here it's all about ma- making yourself look uh, when he says when you fast he said don't don't go around with sackcloth and ashes telling everybody I ain't ate for five days that's not the point you're doing that to be seen of men so he, he's he's drawing a distinction between it's not solely about you giving the pretense of godliness in these external actions it's about a purity of heart in serving your king in your soul okay so For that reason, again, the Sermon on the Mount is essentially the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? I want to highlight quite a few verses as we go through this. Um, First of all, first of all, I want us to think about that large, all-encompassing circle of the kingdom of heaven of all the elect family of God. Because that's where it starts with. That's what it starts with. Um, Let's go to John chapter 3, first of all. And the only way that we are brought into the kingdom of God is because God, as we're going to see in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, God translates us and puts us in the kingdom of heaven. He puts us in the kingdom of God. Now, what does that start with? It starts with the new birth. John chapter 3, verse 3. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then skip down to verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, so first of all, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, certainly it's true that to be in heaven with God at the end of time, it is necessary for one to be born again of the Holy Spirit for their soul to be pure enough to enter into the presence of God in heaven. Now, that's a reality. The only way you're going to see God in heaven at the end of time is that you're born again. That's the only way your soul is going to be fit for heaven. But it's also true that you're not going to see, and that word see literally means experience. You're not going to experience the kingdom of God here in time either unless you've been born again. It doesn't matter where you go, okay? It doesn't matter if you're In a location where the children of God are experiencing the Spirit of God in a manifest, powerful way. You can be in the right location, but you don't feel any of that in your heart. Why? Because you haven't been born again. You can't see the kingdom of God. So, first of all, it starts with being born again to see or experience the kingdom of God, but then also, he drills down a little bit further. This is drawing, this is uh, pressing in closer to the center of the circle, if you will. And who's at the center of the circle? (laughs) Well, it's a kingdom. So obviously the king is at the center of the circle. Okay? You know, think about this uh, in Old Testament times, uh, kingdom of Judah times. You have the entire land of Israel, the entire land of Judah. But then, as you get closer, there is a city that's the capital, that is Jerusalem, But inside of the city of Jerusalem and Mount Zion, there is the literal king's palace and the king's table, right? So do you think that the... um, Do you think that the Israelite that lives in the remote corner of the kingdom over in Manasseh or over in Naphtali or whatever... Uh, far corner of Israel. Think about when David was king. You know, Jesus is the son of David. There's a lot of prophecies of the seed of David, and we'll, we'll get to that hopefully a little bit later. But you have this kingdom. Now, is there a closeness of fellowship with that person who lives in the remote regions of the rule and the authority of Israel as there is with Mephibosheth, who was at the king's table fellowshipping directly with jesus i mean directly with david so you see the person who's in the corner of the kingdom when the kingdom was still united they are under the authority of the king right they're under the authority of the king but if they want to spend more time with the king they're not going to be able to hang out on a remote corner of the kingdom what do they need to do they need to go to where they know the king's at which is going toward the capital, right? So so you have this map of the kingdom of Israel, and then someone is going from the outside of that map, and they said, I want to spend more time with the king. I want to see the king. So what do they do? They go toward they, where they know the king resides, which is the capital of Jerusalem, right? But then we'll, we'll think about Jerusalem as the church, is joining the church, right? Because it describes it as being a heavenly Jerusalem. Well, then once you go into the into the uh, borders of the city of Jerusalem, that's great. You can have closer proximity to to the king, but there's still a lot difference between being uh, one foot inside of the physical border of the city of Jerusalem, and then again, being like Mephibosheth and the king's sons that sit at the table of the king, eating the food of the king and fellowshipping with the king, Right? So what's the idea of pressing into the kingdom? What's the idea of entering into the kingdom of God? It's pressing toward the capital. It's pressing toward Jerusalem. It's pressing toward the king, you see? So God puts you in the overall kingdom of heaven. But then when you have that now holy desire to press into the kingdom, you're continually pressing closer to the king in discipleship entering into the kingdom. Okay, Um, we'll highlight a couple (coughs) verses quickly referring to the eternal kingdom. Colossians chapter one, beginning verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us Into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even forgiveness of sins. Now, when something is translated, I'm sure you've heard many messages on this in in the past. When something is translated, whatever is being translated is passive. So, God's not offering invitations. Would any of you like to be members of the kingdom of heaven? No. How do you become a member of the kingdom of heaven? Well, obviously, the God of heaven has to choose you and translate you into that kingdom, right? So this is speaking of the new birth. We've been translated from the power of darkness and we've been literally picked up and moved into another kingdom. Now picked up and moved into a spiritual kingdom. That's what we need to understand about the kingdom is it's primarily a spiritual kingdom. But yet the spiritual kingdom is experienced in a natural way and natural location sometimes, okay? Remember, God's kingdom is not of this world. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 18, <clears throat> Paul says, The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is speaking of the heavenly kingdom. The heavenly kingdom that all children of God are translated into, into the kingdom of heaven by the new birth and now when you have that life now you can press into the kingdom now you can enter into the kingdom in closer proximity of fellowship with the king Luke chapter 17 Luke chapter 17 this is one of the most important verses to understand about the kingdom of heaven because again it's not based solely on location Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, well, if they were listening to him, they would have already had the answer to that question, right? The (laughs) kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It's right now. When should it come? And he says, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say lo here or lo there for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. It's interesting. He says, not, not over here and not over there. That, that makes me think of uh, John chapter 4 when Jesus is interacting with the Samaritan woman at the well. And she says, okay, y'all have your mountain. You have your temple. And you say that's where true worship is. But over here in Samaria, we have our own mountain, Mount Gerizim. We have our own mountain. And, and we believe that's where true worship is. Well, what did Jesus answer? when She's all, you know, she's, she's determining true worship based on a GPS location. <laughs> low here low there right and he's saying look it's not about a gps how does god desire people to worship him in spirit and in truth which by the way how are you going to be worshiping in spirit in truth you have to have the holy spirit in your heart to be born again right so even if we're worshiping in spirit and in truth and you're in the location where people are doing that you can't worship in spirit and in truth unless you have the spirit right the spiritual one with Jesus Christ in you the hope of glory so the only way that you can truly worship in spirit and in truth is if you're born again but that Samaritan woman was all worried about a GPS location and he says look it's not about that it's about spirit and truth and that's essentially what Jesus is saying here it's not low here and low there uh, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation it's not a natural kingdom that you can see with your natural eyes it's a spiritual kingdom it's a spiritual kingdom But yet at the same time, there's a sense in which we experience it in a natural way. What I mean by that is how do we press into the kingdom? We don't don't press into the kingdom by just some spiritual mystics. You know what I mean? We press into the kingdom by showing up at Macedonian church and requesting to be baptized, right? I mean, it's a physical action, but it's primarily experienced in your heart. Okay? Romans. Chapter 14 and in verse 17 emphasizes this fact. Now, this discussion, Romans chapter 14, is in the middle of a discussion about Christian liberty and uh, food and meat sacrificed to idols. And he says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. In other words, some people would say, I know that that meat was sacrificed to idols. I'm not going to partake of that. I'm more holy than you. And the other person says, I think I can partake of that. I'm more holy than you. (laughs) The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. The kingdom of God is not solely determined by external actions. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, where does the Holy Ghost reside? in your heart, in your soul, right? And I can't really explain this. But when we are born again, our soul is made fit for heaven. You know, our bodies are going to have to be glorified before they're fit to go into heaven. But our soul, as it resides inside of us at this moment, is perfectly pure and fit for heaven. And that doesn't make any sense to me because I know there's a lot of impurities on top of it. (laughs) I can't see all the way down in there and see it pure because I got to look through all of my shortcomings and sins to be able to look down. So I can't see inside of me That there is something that is perfectly fit for heaven right now. That did not make sense to me because i got to look through all my sin to be able to to in some way think about my my soul. But understand, your soul, as it resides inside of you, is made for heaven. Do you get that? (laughs) Your soul is made for heaven inside of you. So therefore, how do we experience the kingdom of heaven? By tapping into that purity that already resides inside of us. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, you see? The kingdom of heaven resides inside of us. We just have to tap into it, okay? And we tap into it by pressing into the kingdom. The kingdom of God is within you. Um... Okay, let's highlight a few verses. Let's go back to Matthew chapter um, 5. We're in Matthew chapter 4. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I want to highlight some verses in the Sermon on the Mount that refer to the kingdom of heaven. And again, I want to highlight these just to give you the idea of where we want to be going. um, About this idea of the kingdom of heaven. That is experienced by pressing into the kingdom, by joining the church. But at the same time, when you're performing those actions, it's primarily experienced in your soul. Okay? And the kingdom of heaven, again, is the primary topic, the primary subject of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's the constitution of His kingdom. I mean, this is the binding document that you refer to about how this kingdom is supposed to operate. And how does it begin? What's the very first statement in this constitution of the kingdom? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse eight, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay? Go back to John chapter three, and in verse three, except you be born again, you cannot see God the kingdom of God. How do you see God? I mean, I've never seen God with my physical eyes, and I won't until, unless I'm alive when he comes back the second time, I won't see God with my physical eyes, but Brother Joel prayed in his prayer about that still, small voice that speaks to us, and where does it speak to us? In your soul, in your heart. Where do you see God? Where do you see God? You see him in your soul, don't you? You see him in the kingdom of God that resides inside of you, and your vision will be clouded if you're not pure in heart. He says if you're pure in heart, you'll see God. But it describes children of God at different times in the scriptures being blinded. They're alive, but they've got spiritual cataracts, and they can't see clearly. Why? Because there's some sin that's clouding their vision. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness, and say, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about fellowship with Christ and sufferings a couple weeks ago. Don't you know that Stephen, as he was being persecuted for righteousness' sake and about to lose his natural life, can you imagine the experience of the kingdom of heaven that he had when he saw Jesus Christ standing up on the right hand of the Son of God? Boy, that's, that's tapping into heaven, isn't it? He can literally see into heaven. How can he he see into heaven? By the Spirit and by faith. And you don't know what's special? You don't know what's special? We can have that same vision into heaven that Stephen had by serving God faithfully, but particularly when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, I want to highlight these verses in the Sermon on the Mount so you understand that these three chapters are laying a new foundation for the spiritual kingdom that Jesus was setting up that is in total contradiction to the natural kingdom, the natural rules, the natural society that these Jews were used to in first century Judea. Okay. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19. Whosoever shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called the great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, there was some first century Jews that all they'd been hearing was the bondage of of this Pharisee legalism, they immediately thought, whew, there's no way I'm going to go to heaven. (laughs) There's no way I'm going to be in heaven at the end of time. You're saying I have to be more righteous than these men who are supposedly the pinnacle of righteousness. I have to be more righteous than them to go to heaven? That's not what it said. It said you have to be more righteous than them to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they, didn't, they had no purity of heart. Blessed are they pure in heart, for they shall see God. They didn't have any purity of heart. They were wicked in their heart. So when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, again, we've got to put it in the right context, just like when we see the word saved in Scripture. What's, what do what we save from and what do we save to? Well, we need to be asking those same questions when we think about the kingdom of heaven, too. Well, clearly, this can't be talking about heaven, eternal heaven, right? You think you have to live a good enough life for you to be admitted? I mean, just the idea that many people, many good, well-meaning Christians have of not just eternal salvation, but their idea of heaven that, you know, sometimes I don't understand if people just say this in a comical way and think about it like a comic strip, or if they really believe it, that St. Saint, Saint Peter is really at the gates of heaven, and they're going to show up, and he's going to list off everything you did good and everything you did bad, and there has to be more in the pro column than in the negative column, and if there is, then we'll let you into heaven. I can't get my head around Do people really believe that, or is that really just a character of what people believe? But if you do believe it, <laughs> if you do believe that, that literally you're going to stand before, by the way, why, would, why in the world would you think St. Peter would be the person determining that anyway? <laughs> If that was true, you know that person would be Jesus. Why in the world would St. Peter be be running the ledger book to let people into heaven? But people read this and they say, There's no way that I can live a good enough life to where when I show up before Peter, that God's going to let me into heaven. Well, you know what? You're right. You're right. But you better understand this isn't talking about going to to eternal life heaven. (laughs) What does it say? You shall in no wise enter into the kingdom. You're not going to press into the kingdom and have fellowship with the king in the manner that you ought to. We've already noted Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. We've already noted Jesus said in the model prayer, Don't pray, Lord bless your church. Lord, pray, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. You see, that's that's speaking of a natural setting, isn't it? You put a natural, very nice piece of jewelry in a natural safe, someone could break in that safe and they could steal that natural thing. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, how do you do that? You know, where do you go to sign up for a safe deposit box in heaven, you know, what do you do that? It's a spiritual kingdom, right? You're laying up for yourselves treasures in the kingdom of heaven. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what? If your treasures are in heaven, you know there's no way anyone here on earth can steal it. Why? Because none of them ain't fitting to break into heaven. <laughs> and steal it you see lay up for yourselves treasures in the kingdom of heaven matthew chapter 13 he talks about a treasure that is hidden in a field it's hidden in a field that when he finds the value of that treasure he sells all that he has and go and goes and get that now does that mean that somewhere out here on the property of macedonia church there's some treasure hidden We know that that's clearly not the case. It's not talking about a natural treasure, is it? It's talking about a spiritual treasure, and where's that treasure at? It's in the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's in the kingdom of heaven. And again, he's pointing us toward heaven (laughs) uh, in verse thirty-two. For your heavenly Father, you know, it says in sermon uh, in the uh, model prayer that we're to pray our Father which art in heaven. Well, I think the more common phrase that we use, and I'm one of them, uh, we usually use the phrase our heavenly father. Our heavenly father. Well, that should be lifting our gaze, again, apart from the world around us, it's lifting our gaze to what? The kingdom of heaven, right? And then in verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The first priority I want to let this sink in. The first priority in your life should be the kingdom of heaven. Which that should make sense, shouldn't it? Why? Because what's the greatest commandment? To love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And if you love God, who's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, if he's the king and you love him with all your heart and soul, then it sure would make sense that you're seeking his kingdom first, right? And I would say that's a one-to-one relationship. You cannot fully love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind unless you are seeking the kingdom first. In other words, you can't obey the greatest commandment perfectly. Now, none of us can ever obey it perfectly perfect, but you are not going to be able to obey the greatest commandment perfectly unless you are seeking the kingdom of heaven first and foremost in your life. Because who's the center of the kingdom of heaven? The king, right? The king, who you love with every fiber of your being. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Um, we will have to save quite a few of these other verses for a future message in considering this. But I want you as we go through this to begin to adopt a kingdom mindset, because the kingdom is more important than me. The kingdom is more important than me. The kingdom is more important than my individual comforts. The kingdom is more important than what I think the right thing to do is in a specific circumstance. Why is that more important than me? Because the king is more important than me. He's the king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And who has sovereign authority in his kingdom? You know, we talked in regards to the church that Jesus is the head of the church, right? And the body gets in a whole lot of problems when they're not following the directions of the head. Well, whose kingdom is this? Well, it's the king's kingdom, isn't it? <laughs> this is not a democracy. I'm th- hey, I'm thankful um, for republics and the ability to vote and some of the democratic things that we have available to us. Because you know, monarchies, which was the standard means of rule for many years, that's great if you have uh, David, uh, who's a man after God's own heart. But even him, man after God's own heart, we see his mistakes with Bathsheba. And then killing Uriah, who not only was he killing one of his soldiers, he was killing one of his almighty men that they'd risked his life for David for many years. So even a, even a good, godly king, boy, they're going to make a lot of mistakes, aren't they?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, praise God, we don't have to have any concerns about that in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Right? Because our king is perfect. Our king is never going to give a bad decree to his kingdom. Now, what's the problem in the kingdom of heaven? Here in time, here in our life of discipleship, what's the problem? Like most of us, we really don't like obeying the king. We really don't like a monarchy telling us what to do. You know, we, Especially Americans. Well, I tell you, we're proud of the American Revolution, aren't we? <laughs> we're proud that we threw off the crown of England. And again, in a natural kingdom, I'm thankful for democracy. But this is not a natural kingdom. God's kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. And it's our responsibility as members of that kingdom to obey the commands of the king of the kingdom. Okay? It's our responsibility to submit to the authority of the king of this kingdom. And when you, ha- when you adopt that kingdom mindset, it's so much more broad and dynamic than just Macedonia Church, than just me. There is a God has a people out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, and they may not all be worshiping with me in public worship on Sunday, but we are all members of the same kingdom of heaven and we all submit to the same King. Okay? And that's important to keep in mind because I've reminded myself very often, that my ministry is broader than my pastorate. And I have a special responsibility to the members here at Macedonia Church and the sheep that are under my care. But my ministry is broader than just my pastorate. Why? Because God didn't call men to solely serve one body. He called them to serve the entire body of Christ. Okay. In a, in a similar way, God didn't call me to only serve in one area. No, He called me to serve the whole kingdom. The whole kingdom. And you know what? There are people in different outposts of the kingdom that God, in His providence, can use our small little actions here in Ackerman, Mississippi. He can use our small little actions, and He has. He has your commitment to support the radio program. There are baptized members of the Permanent Baptist Church in Kesey, Kenya right now that are members of the kingdom because of your commitment to support that and our hopeful uh, desire to produce that program that God in his providence used to feed and to bless different members of his kingdom you see the kingdom is so much bigger than just the local individual church that we're a member of and you need to pray specifically for the members of your church for every single member of your church you need to pray for them every single day but don't ever pray solely for the church that you're a member of you pray that god's kingdom would come you pray for the advancement of of God's kingdom here in this world. And again, this is a lot bigger topic um, than we have time to address this morning. But I'm beginning to study and, and recorded a few messages this week on spiritual warfare and the battle that we are in with Satan every single day. And I, And I want you to understand, the battle that we are in is bigger than just us it is about the kingdom of god versus the kingdom of darkness and that battle between those two kingdoms has been going on since the garden of eden and it's going to occur until the end of time and i'll tell you that's the battle that we are in i, I we we get distracted in our short-term instances that we are in there is a bigger battle and that's that's the picture of the book of revelation so you can understand that there is a bigger battle than just what you're going through today think about the church at smyrna that was enduring persecution and on the verge of possibly even losing their life and he says look there, your battles not with flesh and blood it's against rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places and he says the devil is going to cast you into prison how was the devil going to cast them into prison because a local magistrate in smyrna was going to do that and then he goes on to tell them all these other visions in the, in the book of Revelation to give them the, the picture that there is a warfare that's going on around you every single day that you are a participant of. And don't ever forget that Jesus wins. <laughs> don't ever forget that Jesus has stomped the head of the serpent and he is a defeated foe. Don't you ever forget that. But in a broader sense, we are participants in the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Okay. And if we're going to be realistic about the state of the church today, if we're going to be realistic about the state of the kingdom today, I'm not encouraged that we're gaining ground. I feel like we're losing ground. You wanna know the main reason we're losing ground? Not enough children of God are seeking first the kingdom of God. We are in a battle. We are in a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And I can't control what other people... I can encourage them to the best of my ability and I hope I can put things out through personal interactions or sermons and other things that I can... hope I can encourage other people. But my primary responsibility is to seek first the kingdom of heaven in my life. And what would really happen... If every single born-again child of God that's a member of that global elect kingdom of faith, what would really happen if every single one of them sought first the kingdom of God in their life? You wanna know what happened in the first century? There were pagan temples that went out of business. There were pagan temples that were empty. And boy, they, they disrupted the whole economy of the cities that they were in so much that those craftsmen and those artisans they hated those Christians. Why? Because they people weren't buying their pagan graven images anymore. They upset the economy of Ephesus and of every city that they that the church grew in, they upset the economy of that city. They put pagan temples to be totally empty. That's what happens when people truly put the kingdom of God I'll tell you if, if children of God how many children of God do you think both on Saturday for college football and Sunday for NFL football how many of them are born again children of God that are neglecting some duty now, now you can say oh yeah on Saturday I went to a college football and I'm not saying going to college football games is wrong but I went to that but I showed up at church on Sunday well that's not wrong in it's place But you know what, there may have been something for the kingdom that you could have done on Saturday. Maybe there was somebody that needed to be visited. Maybe there was some person that needed to be encouraged. Maybe there was some function that needed to, uh, some work that needed to be done on the church. There may be something for the kingdom on Saturday that you neglected. But how many children of God sit in those temples of pagan worship? Let's just be realistic this morning. Those temples of pagan worship and how many of them would be empty? How many of them would be empty if every single child of God, I'm not, I don't believe in, in a stadium of 60,000 people cheering on on Sundays that are not showing up in public worship. I don't think all of them are unregenerates. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> I don't think every one of them are unregenerates. I think a large, maybe even majority of them are born again children of God. And I'll tell you what they're not doing. They're not seeking first the kingdom of God. I'll tell you, things would look radically different, and we need to pray for America. Okay, we need to pray for America. But the state of America is a residual effect of the state of the kingdom. You know, we say, "Oh well, we want revival in America." You want to know what would cause revival in America? Revival in the kingdom. Why? It's not about going and telling people, "Hey, you shouldn't go to that ball game." That's not the point. The point is, if you put the kingdom of God first, there's some other things that are higher in your priority list that you don't want to (laughs) go. You see, revival and repentance is the ripple effect. What's the cause? Putting the kingdom of God first and foremost in our life. And I can't control what those children of God do that are making... (laughs) people involved in sports, millionaires and billionaires. I can't control what they do. I can't control what they do. The only thing that I can control is my commitment to seek the kingdom of God first and foremost in in my life and the effects will take care of themselves. That's the Lord's business. Seek first the kingdom of heaven first and foremost in your life and all these things shall be added unto you. Right the way, right there... (laughs) That sure enough in the prosperity gospel those things right there are the basic necessities of life that's another reason we can't fully um, relate to part of what Jesus is saying there in the Sermon on the Mount is he's saying look take no thought for tomorrow and that's not talking about oh I've got these uh, there's an aspect of that oh I've got all these problems And I don't need to be all worried and concerned about what might happen. Yeah, there's an aspect of that. But the immediate application is the people who were listening to his sermon on the mount, they didn't know if they were going to be able to feed their kids the next day. Okay? We can't relate to that. Praise God we can't relate to that right now. They didn't know where they were going to feed their kids the next day. And what did he say? Don't worry about it. I take care of the lilies. I take care of the ravens. I'm going to take care of you. In other words, uh, let's, let's put it another way. Um, someone has a decision today that I have the option to take a job. that's a higher paying job, but it's going to diminish my ability to put the kingdom of God first and foremost in my life. Right now, we're barely making ends meet. I don't know how we're going to be able to pay for all these needs that we have. And... I know that this job. I mean, maybe I can go to church uh, most Sundays, but I can't come to Wednesday. I can't visit anybody else. There, there is more to pressing into the kingdom than just showing up to church on Sunday. Okay, so as a whole, as a whole, I would not be able to invest myself in the kingdom with this job in the same way that I'm able to invest myself now. What's very tempting to justify and say, you know what? We we have to have that extra 20%. We have to have that extra money because otherwise we can't do X, Y, Z. What he says there is trust God, put the kingdom first, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, if you put the kingdom first in all of your decisions, and even if it's a monetary decision to say, you know what? I don't know how we're going to be able to provide. If I turn this down, he says, look, if you put me first and you put the kingdom first, you don't need to worry about all that because all these things are going to be added to you. That's more of a modern day application today. Okay? But these were people who didn't know how they were going to feed their family. And don't you know, instead of Pharisees telling them, if you accidentally pick up sticks on on Sunday, you're going to hell. Instead of them hearing that, don't you know that it did their hearts good to hear Jesus saying, I understand the concern and the plight that you have. If you don't know how you're going to feed it, you put me first and everything's going to take care of itself. Mm-hmm. You put me first and I'm going to provide you everything you need. Mm-hmm. You may not have everything you want. Mm-hmm. We don't need everything we want. That's right. You put me first. I'm going to give you everything you need. And all these things shall be added unto you. We have to make sure we understand what these things are. That's right. It's what you need. It's what you need. And if you put the kingdom first, the Lord will provide for the needs of His children. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness.
0: We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia pbc.org.